You're listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, bringing the most inspirational leaders in the Australian tech industry together to collaborate, share stories and exchange ideas. I'm Liam McDade, co-founder of Evolution Australia, and today I'll be your host. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast on strategies for future-proofing your software engineering culture. Uh, this is also our first LinkedIn Live event, so we're very excited and perhaps a little nervous to, to have an audience with us today. Um, as ever, I have a cohort of industry experts who are ready to share their thoughts and insights with you, so um, let's get on to the intros. I'll start. Um, I'm Liam. I'm the co-founder and managing director of Evolution Australia a specialist recruitment consultancy with a defined purpose of helping companies and individuals realize their potential and a brand promise to create a great recruitment experience. Um, ben, over to you to uh, do your introduction. So, uh, hi everybody. My name is Ben Menezes Sosa. Uh, I am the VP of engineer at Lindy. Now it's called Lindy Group. Uh, we are a group of companies or, or a company that have a digital platform uh, to allow customers or, or buyers to, to go through their application process. And we we merged uh, on 2021 with Aussie Home Loan. So now it's we are we, we have shifted now to be a product-led sales company. That is, we use our uh, state-of-the-art platform to enable the, the brokers that, that work in our network to provide the best experience for the customers and also to make them or to help them be super, super productive. Awesome. Thanks, Liam. Welcome. <laughs> uh, over to you. Uh, thanks, Liam. Um, yeah, so my name is Stu Topman. I am the VP of Engineering at Campaign Monitor. Um, we are an, an Australian startup who, who started about uh, 18 years ago. If you haven't heard of Campaign Monitor, um, we've gone a bit of a journey. We, we, um, I've been with the company for about seven years now, just coming up on seven years. Um, a little bit of my history is that I started as an engineer um, working in, in one of the big four banks, um, came through the ranks as an engineer and then basically got into management uh, sort of as I transitioned into Campaign Monitor. Uh, so yeah, so we've been through a bit of a journey ourselves. We're now owned by a parent company called Marigold, uh, and and we we've been going through, like I said, sort of like a a, a reasonable shift in our culture and and, and how everything works. Um, to give you a little bit of an idea of what our company does, we are basically an email marketing platform. Um, we're a SaaS company, uh, and yeah, look, really looking forward to having a good conversation around um, how our cultures have evolved over the last couple of years. Awesome. Thanks, Jude. And Sim, over to you. Hi, I'm Sim. I currently head of tech for what we call Core over at Domain Group. Uh, at Domain, our purpose is to inspire confidence in life's property decisions. For those who don't know, uh, Domain is actually a, a little bit more broader than the website and the app you see. Uh, we include all homes, commercial real estate, and provide a bunch of solutions for our agents as well. Um, they're all a bunch of brands that's uh, aiming to become the leading property marketplace in Australia. As for me, I've been at Domain roughly half a year now, so it's not very long. Um, uh, but I've done similarish roles in a bunch of other companies like Zero, Bullies X, uh, News Corp, Cars Guide as well. Um, my background is in software engineering, uh, but I've been thrusted into leadership over the next over the last decade. Sorry, I probably won't go into that story today, but. Um, 
yeah, have come to love it, uh, love leading people, and I get a buzz out of seeing the next generation of leaders grow. Cool. Awesome. Great. Thanks to have you all with, with us. So, um, so what are we talking about today? So future-proofing your software engineering culture. What does that mean? Um, I think culture is an incredibly ambiguous word and intangible, um, particularly in relation to an organization's employment culture. Um, I think it's personally, I think it's often confused with employee experience. So for example, you know, our culture is great. We've got a ping pong table and a beer fridge. Um, and that for me, that's not what defines culture. It might be a very small part of it, um, but it's really more of a feature of the, in my opinion, you know, the employee experience. Um, how I define culture is the, um, the balance of um, employee engagement, um, consistent demonstration of shared values, um, and performance and productivity. I think where these things are, um, these three pillars, if you like, are, are positive and they're well balanced between them, then the culture is measurably good. Um, when they're not, it probably isn't. That's, you know, that's just my definition. I don't, you know, I don't, um, you know, uh, purport to be an expert on, on, on the subjects, but I think, you know, that's how I would kind of define um, uh, culture in, in, in the, certainly in this kind of software engineering world that we're in these days. Um, but regardless how we define it, there's no doubt in the last few years with, you know, remote working and, and geographically distributed teams being much, much, much more common than it ever was, um, companies and teams have had to look at how they manage and support their culture differently. Um, and that's kind of where we wanted to start the conversation today. And Ben, I know this is something that you're um, especially keen to, to talk about. So um, I'll just kind of hand that, hand that over to you for, for a little more context. How has culture evolved um, now, you know, remote working and, and geographically distributed teams are, I think? Uh, so one of the, of the things that obviously we've all experienced in, in, in the last two years, we have two big events that, that I think have shaped us. The first one obviously was COVID. And, and especially in Australia, because we had lockdowns and, and we I remember that at the beginning of it, I guess we all do. We had days that we were preparing to leave. And then the next day is like, we're going to close the office. No one can come. Who knows what's going to happen? And, and there was a lot of uncertainty. And I think in, in, in some of the companies and especially tech companies, we might not have experienced a massive shift because I think we we are privileged in in that we are at the forefront of, of a lot of cultural change in workspaces. So a lot of us were already working from home one or two days a week. So we didn't have to test or or try the the, the technology. We already were a little bit in in, in that page. But there were certainly things that that we had to do a mindset shift towards, you know, working different and, and communicating in a different way. When when we when we are in the, in the office, and, and I just remembered a, a, a book that I read during this time called Conflicted, and it says that we we are moving to a, what they call a low context communication uh, from a high context communication. So if you're in the office. And you're sharing a lot of a lot of things. You see people. You see all their body language, and 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 share a lot of a lot of things. You have high context because if you see you, you can you can uh, in, 
have intuition of what people mean whenever you're talking to them in the same space. But if you are in moving to a distributed world in which you have, you communicate by text a lot, or you have a camera and, and you cannot see the rest, you can see my hand now, but normally I will be taking notes and I, I wouldn't be uh, gesturing a lot. Then you might, you, you have lower context of what I mean. So you need to switch to be very, very explicit on certain areas of, of your language or what you're saying because people might tend to misinterpret you. And this is the core of this book, Conflicted, because this will generate a lot of conflict, more and more conflict. So I think uh, one of the things, and, and I'm going to lead other, others to start complementing this, but I think one, one of the interesting bits of it that, you know, I'm going to say things that we all know, I guess, is that people, people change the way they work because they started working like in their own space in isolation, but communicated through like through a virtual channel. But they also started experiencing different type of flexibility or or appreciating things in their in their in their work that that were not present. Uh, commuting, for example, a lot of people in in you know in our companies and given that that Sydney specifically this state in Sydney it's quite expanded. So some people can take an hour and a half commuting to the office and they were doing that every day and that was no questions right this was what was approved or the norm so so people started going oh i don't have to commute or or having flexibility people that have children uh started realizing that oh i can i can take certain certain flexible times in my i can pick up my kids from school and come back and make up for the time that's fine like we don't work less but but these these kind of things, people. When when I remember when the first lockdown finished, and and they're like, oh, let's come back to the office. Some people were like, well, I have some months now, changing my routine, picking my children, and and now I don't think I can I can go back so quickly. In my own in my own in my own experience, one of the things that I started doing, and, and for someone, I I am very pro gender equality in in in, in everything. And one of the things I realized is how little I, or, or compared to my partner, how little I was doing around the house. So being at home allowed me to start doing more and getting much more involved in that. So I definitely didn't want to go back uh, to the office so quickly or, or full time. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I think, you know, part of this, we can start talking about it. Well, I think where, you know, where I introduced your, your, your point there, Ben, was I talked about the um, how culture has evolved, and I think that what's when I think back to that time, um, it didn't evolve. The situation didn't evolve. It was a stark. This week we're all in the office as normal. Next week we're all working from home, and it was a you know it was it was a it was a, a real shift from one extreme to the other across the whole industry across the world, right? Um, and these little things that. You know, I think it created a lot of opportunity for people. It created a lot of opportunity for organisations as well, in terms of, um, you know, for people, uh, exactly what you just said there. You know, get to spend more time with my kids, do some more stuff around the house, go pick my kids up from school, not have to commute, spend, you know, use that hour doing some, you know, mindfulness or going to the gym or going for a run or whatever it might be. You know, having a bit more time to do things. Um, organisationally, you know, created the opportunity to. Do you know what? We can hire people from anywhere. 
they don't need to be in Sydney or Melbourne or even Australia or even the Southern Hemisphere. Um, we can hire people for anywhere. Um, so lots and lots of opportunity came out of this, but at what I guess I guess at what cost? You know the the the, the, the proximity uh, to your to your work, your your colleagues. You know even people that you sat next to on the same bank of desks um, for you know for a couple of years. All of a sudden they're the other side of the city. You don't see them. Not that's not not to mention the new employees or new colleagues who you've never met and probably never will because they, they're in Western Australia or whatever. Um, so, you know, I think part of it, we talk about it as an evolution, part of it evolved bit by bit, but it was very much a case of, right, this is the new normal go. Yeah, and I, I think I think Ben touched on something really interesting there at the start too, was um, almost before COVID, there was like, there was uh, almost like a restricted view of what culture looked like everyone was in the office so everyone was sort of on an equal playing field and and you know you you touched on it earlier as well liam the like the beer the the um ping pong tables and the uh and the beer fridges they did make more of a difference because i think back then there was you know there was less separating how everything worked um you talk about remote friendly workplaces I would have called pre-COVID, I would have called our workplace a remote friendly workplace. But I remember countless times we would jump on a call, everyone would be in the office except for one person who is, you know, um, needed to work remote for some reason. We'd get through the meeting and then we go, oh, we've got to dial them in. Like those things happened, <laughs> unfortunately, on like a reasonably regular basis. Like now it's almost unheard of, right? It's almost like our company is, is basically Zoom first with everything that goes on. Uh, and and you know I think the way the way we work has just evolved so much that I think you know before what was really important from a cultural aspect has now shifted quite a lot. <coughs> something that is you know is is really really different these days. Yeah, the only thing I would add is you know it's had positive impacts for people. They have a lot more flexibility in terms of when and where they can work. Ben made a great point about it's you know, it's getting more time with family as well. I think it's also had a a massive positive impact for the software engineering industry as well. It's been a great forcing function to get better at the things that we always said that we need to get better at. So documentation, onboarding, communications, clarity of vision and where we're going, these have become all the more important when, we, when we're coming to remote working and hybrid working. Um, so I think it's been great. I've seen the evolution across the companies that I've worked at you know, shifting more to async first, documenting, you know, code better, APIs better, because there's someone on the other side of the world that's now the recipient of this, that you're not going to be able to sit down, you know, at, at your desk and explain it to them. So I, I think there's been, you know, that cultural revolution, you know, of, uh, you know, teams and how they work, but also I think a, a bit into, you know, it's changed the software engineering industry as well and forced us to become better. Of things we should be. I think I think that's that's a great view, but in my own experience, let's talk about my experience. Yeah. Uh, same. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think uh, I think uh, I definitely agree with you about these things, but I think it has been uh, a maturity <laughs> process that sometimes it doesn't happen because there's I don't know if you're you're familiar with uh, there's papers or, or well, I think this came from GitLab about the stages of being a distributed company. And they say the first one is, you know, everyone is in the office. The second one is everyone is out, but you try to recreate the, the office in, in, your, in your processes. 
or in your distributed in your distributed environment, which is end up you end up being the worst of two worlds because you are isolated, but also you need to have this synchronicity that is almost like uh, all the time. So I think that part has some companies have started looking at it and and. I think like uh, one one common occurrence when when people move or or when when the lockdowns and COVID what happened or moving to distributed teams and suddenly everyone had a lot of meetings, everyone had all the meetings in the world and I think that was uh, uh, that recreation or uh, in, uh, emphasis on recreating that that space into the virtual. So to me that that part of moving to a sync and getting more this uh, documentation all that is definitely part of of what we need to evolve. And, and one one thing to uh, that I'd like to add is now that we are, you know, we were fully like fully on the office and, and a little bit distributed. Now fully distributed with lockdowns, and now we're in a hybrid hybrid space. One of the interesting bits that I think it's also very commonly spoken is that suddenly you have people that go to the office and the office is empty. So they have to stay in the office, they commute it and all that, and they're in the office with their Zoom meetings. And, and they're like, well, what's the point of me being in the office if I'm not looking at anyone? And, and conversely, they, sometimes you are in, in at home, but you don't have the flexibility and you just need to be uh, fully uh, you know, in meetings and, and as if you were recreating on, on that space. So I think that there's also a shift there to start thinking, how do we start making these experiences better? Uh, for for people, I think yeah. definitely. And I know, I, know I've, I, I spoke to you definitely about this uh, when we spoke last week, Ben. But if I think back to from a, just yeah, from a from a, 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 a professional perspective, if I think back to that the COVID era, if we, if we call it that, the thing that I lost most sleep over, the thing that was the biggest issue for me um, as someone running a business, was just trying to get that balance right of you know what are the what are the what are the what are the rules what are our expectations what, what do we mandate what do we offer around how many days in the office how many days from home what flexibility how do we you know have this there, there are there are three very separate or were and probably still, still are three very separate groups of people that you know one group never wants to come to the office again wants to work from home forever another hates working from home <clears throat> wants to be in the office every day and another that's you know, I want to, I want to mix up both, and there's no way you can please all, all, all three of those groups. So, you know, the the number of different ways we tried, um, some some were just terrible decisions, um, didn't work. Um, but it, yeah, to, to, to Ben's point about, you know, there were there were definitely people who wanted to be in the office, but they wanted to be in the office mostly because other people were in the office as well. So when we when it was just like completely flexible, hey, everyone come in whenever they like. People would come in excited about coming to work and seeing that seeing the mates. And they get there and there was like one other person there, it's the other side of the office. So I oh, well, I'll bother tomorrow, sort of thing. And that just, you know, so um, what we have kind of, we, we, we've landed on a um, on a kind of three in, three in, two out balance at the moment, which I think really works works very well for, for us as a business. Obviously, you know, we're in a very specific business type where, you know, human interaction and, 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 and people engaging is a, is a massive part of our job. Um, and I think we've landed on that three and two, but, um, yeah, it's 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 very difficult to get it right in inverted commas because you can't you know if you if you please one group you are disappointing the other two. So um, 
you know, it's, it's very difficult. We have, have a question um, in from Lewis Burks. Uh, well, two questions actually, one from Lewis and one from Frank Wang. Um, that I think are probably uh, you know worthwhile discussing at, at this point. So from Lewis, um, what specific tech, uh, what specific steps rather, um, have you taken with your interview process uh, to ensure that you're protecting your existing team culture? Um, and then that leads nicely into, into what Frank's question, which is around um, the capability to then support remote work on an ongoing basis. Yeah, look, I, I'm happy to jump into the interview process. Uh, so one of the big parts of our interview process, like pre-COVID, was that we would always get people in the office and, and we would actually... Um, we would actually try and make sure that a lot of our interviews would, would go back to back. So, you know, if you were a candidate coming in, you might go, hey, I'll take the morning off. I can do uh, technical interview side of things. I can do the people and cultural side of things and get it all over and done with in one hit and, and bang, I'm done. Uh, we found that obviously, you know, people really struggled with doing that over, you know, over a video call for a long time. So we had to sort of shift the way that was working. Um, the people that we had as part of our interview process started to shift as well. It, we we were very much, um, we sort of had some tech leaders on, on the technical interviews. And then we had generally people who were like the, the manager and maybe another like engineering manager who was on more of the people and culture side. What we found that we shifted to and, and we have continued to go this way is that um, we break those interviews up a little bit more. So we give the candidates time to sort of pick and choose when they want to come in. Um, and we're actually involving a lot more of the team themselves. So when we do a technical interview, we will generally make sure that we have somebody from that technical team who is who's going to be interviewing them. So they're not only just assessing the technical side, they're also getting a bit of a people and culture and getting an idea of, um, of how they work through problems and how they communicate and everything else. And they're getting a picture of, of how they would fit in, in the team we're trying to hire them into. Um, again, on the people and culture thing, we will try and bring people in who are, who are um, likely to be working day in, day out with them. We're starting to bring um, product uh, in, into those interviews as well, so that people really get a good sense of, you know, what, how is this candidate going to fit into the team? Are, are they going to add something, you know, like, like how is their connection going to go? So we've, we've sort of shifted the people and, and how we do those interviews a little bit more now. Um, we try and make, try to make them not as, not that onerous. Like we don't want it to be a, a hugely long, you know, um, three stage interview process or anything like that. So it's, it's that challenge of trying to make them still small and, and consumable and, and, and not taking a huge amount of candidates time, um, but also trying to get like, as many opinions in the room as we can. The only thing uh, or caveat I'll add to that is if you want to retain the existing culture, um, you know, definitely need to involve your team and, you know, cross-functional uh, roles into the process. But then also being wary is sometimes you need people to come in to champion a cultural change mm. as well. Yeah. So uh, just being wary of that when you're thinking about um, who you're hiring as well. Is that, do, do you mean the, the difference between a culture fit and a culture ad? No, yeah, no. culture ad definitely. Uh, but let's say you're you're working in a team and a culture that is not great. You know, there, there's no collaboration. There's no sharing of knowledge. There's, you know, people are unhappy, right? Uh, you want to, you, you don't necessarily want to hire someone who's, you know, going to quickly adapt to that culture, right? You want someone to come in, shift, help champion the change to the culture that you actually want it to be. Um, so, yeah, maybe more of a word is cultural revolution. Maybe that's going a bit too far. <laughs> 
I think, I think one, one thing, and, and talking about Altery, talking about the, 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 let's say, the events, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, anchoring the past, by the way, I'm just trying to, trying to add and, and remembering a lot of things. I think one interesting aspect for us in, in, in Australia, for if there's anyone from other, uh, other countries listening, is that because of the lockdowns and COVID and all that, that we, we our immigration policies changed. And then we had a massive boom on hiring and, and people like we didn't have enough people. So I think one of the one of the interesting things that I that I also experienced regarding interviews and all that was that we we're getting a lot of people, you know, moving. I moved jobs during that time, uh, you know, a lot of people moving jobs and, and maybe leaving our teams. And then we wanted to hire new people, but then we needed to be the nimblest that we've ever been in our life. We, we, we couldn't we couldn't spend more than like you know two maximum three interviews on someone because they would be snatched uh, mm -hmm. by, by any other competitor or well in this case competitor in, in terms of, of the people so I I remember that that has changed now for us because now that we adapted to that process adding more steps seems a little bit like why why are we adding this other step so i think i think we we ended up distilling a lot of, of what we required for to hire a good person to hire a person that would add to the team to be that that was valuable to to the team and the company and now for us in, in our case uh as, as opposed to Stuart, we don't we really don't have everything we do is distributed so all our interviews are are by zoom but i think they are I think we, we got them like I, I've never really seen a, a lot of a lot of issues with ours. One of the things that we did change uh, when when I started was that we started focusing on, on things that behaviors, that especially the culture, cultural, I don't call culture fit, but just a cultural part of it. Uh, what kind of things we wanted in the team to that we appreciated and valued, which is part of what you said about the culture, about we ask a lot of questions about collaboration and conflict management and, and self-awareness and feedback and and i think like during during this time that we we started moving that we we hired the people that we ended up hiring were have been fantastic like i think that was a very good uh we we were lucky that that you know these these questions and, and this process was was very very useful for us because we we have the best people like we have a, a fantastic environment and, and a lot of it, a lot of these people are new and have gone through that through that process. And and I think one one thing, just as a, I'm gonna go a tiny tiny tangent and, and a pro tip, in case you don't do it now, one of the best things to to do in interviews is just ask experience. Avoid avoid hypotheticals as much as possible and just mostly ask about their experience and and giving them examples and all that because I think that gets like a lot of genuine, you know data or facts from, from people. Yeah, hypothetical or answers to hypothetical questions are, are much easier Googleable uh, than, um, uh, than, than, than you know, actual lived experience. So yeah, I absolutely 100% agree with that. Um, we have a question from, we have a couple of questions on the, on, on the subject. Um, but I, I talked, I, I mentioned Frank Wang um, earlier who yeah, initially raised it, um, which is around the capability to uh, support remote work, or is really more of a comment from Frank, the capability to support remote work, um, which I think leads nicely into what um, what you wanted to, to, to focus on. Your, your part of the conversation on today, Stu, which is around um, running effective uh, team events um, and you know get-togethers and communication when 
teams are remote, um, you know, geographically distributed. Um, talk to us a bit about that. Yeah, look, it's it's definitely something um, that that we've spent a lot of time trying to to work on. We had, as I said, you know, pre-COVID, we had a, a like quite a heavy, um, what I would say, office-based culture. Uh, you know, a lot of the events that we ran were all office-based. You know, we were lucky enough. Um, this this background I have is actually from uh, our office. We've actually recently moved offices, um, but you know, we had things like we had chefs who were in there, and 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 they. They cooked us breakfast and lunch. Um, we had a very, very um, office-based culture. We had board games. We had the ping pong table. We had we had the beer fridge. We had everything else there, um, and everything we did, whether it was you know, um, whether it was like sort of like a um, you know a team bonding sort of experience and things like that, it was it was office-based. If we were doing meetings, if we we're doing inceptions and things like that around uh, delivery focused, it was always you know post-it notes on a whiteboard and 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 those those styles um, of approach to to how we broke down work and and discuss things through you know architectural diagrams were were drawn on whiteboards. It's been really hard to get that shift and and, and to move into a world now where. You know, you don't have those people in the office, or you've got, um, you know, a couple of the people in the office, but the remainder of the team is remote. Um, and how we actually we manage to do things that work for all of those different um, needs that people have. You know, we talked about there there are those people who want to be in the office every day, and they want to be sticking things up and putting post-it notes and using whiteboards and everything else there. You have the people who are happy to come in maybe once or twice a week and 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 do some of that when it, when it's needed and then you have the people who don't want to be in there at all um you know we've had a variety of different tools that we've tried out to use you know around team events and things like that um we've actually had some some really good success doing some things we've 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 done you know uh, virtual escape rooms. Uh, I don't know if anyone's tried things like the Airbnb experiences, but they're a really cool way of, of doing something as a team and doing it, you know, fully remote. Um, if you haven't tried that up, I, I really recommend looking looking those up. You know, you can. I heard of that. Sounds awesome. You can get people like in other in other places in the world to, uh, and this was actually what we did during the heavy lockdown. There were people who were at home in other places in the world who would teach you how to make like make noodles and things like that, um, you know. And it was it's incredible some of the things that you can you can actually do there. And and we tried a lot of these approaches to try and get things uh, try and maintain that engagement, which was um, you know again what we talked about at the start. Um, and yeah, that that's some of the stuff that we've been doing. You know, we've gone to um, using some of those online tools for post-it notes and things like that. Uh, and what I was really curious was just to hear, you know, um, from Ben and Tim, what, what some of your experience have been and, and what, what are some of those things that you've brought in to try and, you know, make it work for all the different um, different styles of working that you've got happening every day? Uh, I'll go first. So at, at Domain, I think um, similar, similar to yourself, Stu, was historically very office-centric. Um, uh, in Sydney, uh, but I, I think it's successfully shifted towards a hybrid remote approach. And I think that's for a couple of reasons. Uh, there is still the office. Um, there, there's still a good footprint here in Sydney for the domain office. So anyone can kind of come in any day and, you know, chat to someone, but they have the complete freedom to work from home and remotely as well. Um, and, and I think that's uh, due to a couple of reasons. So one, we, we got budget. You know, for remote workers to come into the office, 
um, to make sure that they we can cover their travel, you know, get in, meet people. Um, in fact, uh, last year we had a massive internal conference. Um, it, this was prior to my time, but uh, it, it was amazing to see everyone actually getting together. I think it was up in Hunter Valley, actually, um, for a conference to collaborate, connect, to learn about each other across domain. Uh, and that went a really long way to to just get people connected and loyal to, to the domain brand and, and the business. Um, I still hear it today, actually, um, from people in my team like, well, when are we going to do a, a conference again? Um, they, they really thoroughly enjoyed it. So I, I would absolutely recommend that. How much of that was the was the wine from the Hunter Valley that, that got you with it? <laughs> probably a large portion. I probably won't talk to that too much. <laughs> um, it, it, it's, actually, it's actually funny you mentioned that, Tim, because um, that is one of the things. So back again pre-covid we used to do something um that we called dev camp and and the whole focus of that was we would take everyone away we'd go somewhere um usually in in greater sydney whether it's central coast or or somewhere like hunter valley um and and we'd put on our own conference and we just ran it with within our engineering group you know um with security and operations and everyone else there so we had sort of 50 to 60 people um and it was really focused around trying to get people there and and you know practicing talks for anything that might be coming up around conferences or things like that or getting people more used to speaking in public we used to run it we used to have like dual track talkers and things like that because we'd have you know two and a half days worth of like full um conference style talks um, we actually ran our our first one since covid uh last month uh, and we 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 switched the focus a little bit and we really honed in on things around team building activities and you know there are some people who'd been working for the company for a couple of years who had never met in person before um, and even though like they were Sydney based and it was like, it was amazing to get some of these people in, um, you know, we flew people in from, we've got a couple of people in Canada, we've got some people in um, UK, we, we flew them all in and it was amazing to see just um, how recharged and, and the energy that people got out of that. Um, like I said, we, we ended up only doing basically one full day of, of talks and we focused less on the talk side of things and we did a whole lot more around um you know doing some stuff with 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 team building things and and we did like a what we call like a giving back event where we we did something with a local charity there and uh, we're in the hunter valley we had some wine as well it was fantastic um but yeah it was it was amazing how much impact that had so i will i will second that you know it wasn't hugely expensive i think we paid something like um a grand ahead or something it, excluding flights uh of course at the moment um but yeah so it wasn't it wasn't a huge investment but geez we did get like a major impact from that yeah 100 and you touched a key one there is uh charity and, and non-profits as well um domain is uh is a partnership with oz harvest and people use their volunteer days like domain provides you know a day every year i think actually might be two um, where you can go and volunteer and, uh, you know, whether it's Oz Harvest or, or another charity. Uh, and I've, and I have heard of cohorts actually going together, taking those days together, you know, go out to do something good. Um, because as you would know, as we've gone to remote working and, and hybrid working, it, some people have lost that sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's a really good way to just re-energize that and go, Hey, look, there, there is something bigger here to, to work towards. 
we, we have a question um, for uh, from um, Jack S that I'd just like to kind of um, bring into the chat around. Uh, he raised you know, an interesting point around um, working in the, particularly in kind of financial services or you know very corporate kind of process and, and security um, heavy industries. Um, how have um, how to build uh, a tech like culture um, uh, with you know while we while working remotely in those uh, in, in those organisations or in that in, in that kind of that kind of environment um, and how to build a tech like culture encouraging good engineers to build with with, with speed and pride. Um, ben, you're currently in the financial services industry. Stu, you were, you were previously. I'd be interested to get. I'm sure Jack would also be interested to get your Give your thoughts on on that. Is that is that different? Yeah, look, I, I'm happy to kick it off. Um, and it has been a few years since I've been in in financial services, but you know, I think almost having that experience of working for you know, I worked for nearly 15 years in in the banking industry, and then and then moved across to a SaaS platform that is that is very different. And we, like, admittedly, we don't have the same security heavy process. Uh, like, we obviously have security processes. But they're not the same as as a regulated sort of industry like like financial services is, um, are. The the big thing that I find is is really important when you're um, when you're trying to get engineers to um, you know build with speed is I almost feel is like a byproduct. But but the pride is something I really want to focus on. Um, I honestly believe if you give engineers autonomy and they and they feel ownership around the system that they're looking after and, and, and they care deeply about that and they understand why they're doing things rather than it being sort of like top-down initiative, we're just going to build this, um, we build it, we throw it over the fence, we never look at it again. Um, that's how you build that pride. Um, and, and in the environment I work in now, you know, people care deeply about the system. They may not care... Um, and, and be super passionate about email marketing, but they care about the people they work with. Um, they don't want them paged and woken up in the middle of the night and, and having to deal with problems. And because of that, they build things with pride and they put a lot of effort into what's been built. They make sure it's thoroughly tested before it goes out. Uh, they make sure it's got logging and it's got playbooks that make sense that if, if somebody has to pick it up um, and, and deal with an issue in the middle of the night, they know what to do. They're not they're not just floundering around and, and um, you, you know, struggling while everyone else is just sleeping through it. So, you know, um, it is really hard to do in in a financial services sort of environment is to is to get that autonomy. The more you can build that, and the more you can build that ownership over the system, I, I think those other things come with it. Um, you know, speed comes from a lot of different things. It's sometimes it's having the right people, sometimes it's having the right processes in place, sometimes it's removing the processes that are slowing you down. Um, so there's a lot of things you can do around metrics and measuring and and um you know i could talk for hours about things like cycle times and 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 that sort of stuff and and not that i believe strongly that cycle times need to be a certain number but i think they they can highlight problems that you have in in your processes and and can give you something to focus on um but yeah i think i, I honestly i think the more your your um engineering team feels ownership over what they're looking at the more they that's going to happen as as a result Ben, what are your, your thoughts obviously working currently working in the, in the um, yeah, financial services? Uh, I, I think uh, that the, the, a big part a big part is having uh, a big, like you know 
good clarity on, on what you're trying to achieve and, and why security and, and compliance in, in certain things are it's important and what do you what do you have to lose if, if, if things don't don't go well and then from there you can uh, incorporate this ownership as, as Stuart said like having that knowledge uh, if, if people have a, a very good clarity on these you don't necessarily need to to insert things but people themselves will bring things up so like having having a good a good part of it and also believing in uh, what you call behavioral economics in, to make things easier for people to 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 work on uh, security or compliance so one of the things that 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 I was discussing uh, recently was about well how do we we do threat assessments in, in when we develop changes and I was like well why don't we just have like a, a questionnaire as a first step so people start asking questions and that triggers things that says well maybe let's call someone or no this is fine uh, I remember uh, in in my previous company we were an ISO 27001 certified company and one of the things that that was very good for it is like there was a lot of training very iteratively and everyone had to rotate training other people so i at some point i had to create content to get people to understand the, the types of things we needed to raise and all that but i remember a, a friend of mine a, a ex-colleague now but it's now my friend that he one of the things that he he did for people to to be more in tune uh with with security and the compliance but also to lower the bar so people can just really don't be afraid of it was he, he said something about well in our team that at the at the moment that we did this what we were small is if you raise something if you raise an issue if you raise a security or a compliance issue you don't have to work on it so there was not onerous process that oh i raise this now i have to own it and i have to go and so it's like if you raise it you you are exempt from working on this thing and that really, really lowered the bar for people because people would just raise things without, you know, uh, fear of, oh, now I have to finish it. You know, obviously, if you wanted to work on it, you work on it. But, but you know, that, that classic thing that if you raise something and then you now have to, you know, like adopt this thing as, as until it's, it's done, that, that changed things a lot. That, that, that helps us a lot. So I think creative ways like that help too. Uh, and obviously, as, as George said, if you have if you have processes that that don't add or and and they really slow you down, like I think your process should be questioned and inspected, you know, regularly to know to see if they are serving you or your serve, you know, or ser you're serving them. Uh, so yeah. Any, any thoughts on that from a process perspective, Sim? Uh, probably not process, but just something to add from uh, coming from. A company that was corporate that basically did a digital start over big retail company supermarket i'm not going to name it but I, I was there for a while and i successfully saw it you know go from a just a few people to you know thousands of people that that, that it is today and and i when i reflect on that and why it was done well is because really that they started small you know they kept the blast radius very small to test and learn and they had sponsors involved that really get it you know they understood why engineering and tech culture was so important and enabler for the business once you get those people on board it's goes such a big lever and such a big way to actually driving um yeah the culture that that you're talking about there uh, jack yeah sounds, sounds good awesome well look, look the 
we're talking kind of loosely uh, around the, the, the financial service industry there. And obviously we are um, in the kind of throes of um, some economic uh, uncertainty currently, which is, you know, is, is impacting most, if not all industries in some way, shape or form. Um, and seeing one of the things you wanted to, to, to talk to, talk about today, which I think is really, really important, is how, how to to keep teams motivated and engaged through through tough or, or, uninter, or you know, uncertain times. I think if I look particularly from from my my own perspective, as you know, I, I work in the um, software engineering recruitment industry, so my kind of uh, um, uh, area is jobs in software engineering. Um, lots of um, companies are letting people go, and not just software engineers, but you know, there's, there are a lot, lots of um, retrenchments and, and, and redundancies and, and, and people being let go in the industry. And I think there's definitely a perception out in the market that, oh, wow, like this is, this is bad. And it, and it is. Um, but I also, I also think there are lots of positives um, in the market, you know, and, 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 and change brings opportunity um but it's really important that you know we don't know when this will get better or improve um uh, but the ability to keep teams motivated and engaged through what is tough time through through the change curve from you know the disruption that we're going through right now through through, through adoption into innovation um you know some some really it'd be good to talk about kind of useful strategies or your experiences in terms of how best to keep teams motivated and engaged through tough or, or, or uncertain times. So I think a lot of a lot of our audience and, and you know and wider community would be feeling that in some way, shape or form right now. Yeah, this is actually genuinely something I'd love to get thoughts from Ben and Stu on, but I'll, but I'll elaborate on, on the question. Um, so yeah, we had the pandemic um, that obviously disrupted how we work, uh, caused a lot of uncertainty, and then we went through a, a lot of macro and micro economic challenges now as well and now there's tech layoffs and so forth so it is very uncertain times and it's becoming harder and harder to keep your your, your teams motivated right um so at, i've had to think quite deeply on, on that kind of problem over the last year or so and and i've deployed a few strategies have they been perfect probably not but um, that's why i'm kind of bringing it up today to really get a lot of thoughts so uh, I think what it really comes down to in terms of motivation, you know, you kind of go to Dan Pink's mastery, autonomy, or whatever, whatever, you know, in terms of when it comes to motivation. Um, I think the key thing that's kind of gone messing with all this uncertainty is purpose. A part of purpose is creating a positive change for those people around you. And I think what has really shifted in terms of the ways of working and, and remote culture now is people are making positive change like, like they used to, they just can't see it anymore because they're not talking to that person next to them. So the crux of it is really bringing people together and connecting as often as possible to bring, you know, some of that purpose back into their, into their work. Um, so a couple of things, you know, I've, I've kind of worked with over the last couple of years is one, having really clear North Star and mission uh, for your company, where we know that's generally just a good thing to do um, for your teams and for your organization, but it's even more so when, when it comes to remote work. Um, so when people on board, uh, when they're doing work, they feel connected to a higher purpose for the company. 
the second one I would say is having regular check-ins uh, with your team and being very individualized about how you do that. Um, there, there are some people, like I think Ben and Stu talked about before, who really loved remote working and and you know really don't really care too much about the uncertainty and change that is going on and they have a lot of resilience. So you probably will take a different approach to them versus some of the others who are not so so resilient. So really taking that personalized approach to your to your one-on-ones and, and check-ins. Uh, one strategy we've just deployed here at uh, a domain within my team is we, we have a weekly check-in with everyone within within my business unit at least uh, to keep them up to date with what's going on around the business. Um, where we got a lot of feedback that people felt disconnected about, you know, hey, what's happening here or here? So, so we've instilled that regular cadence every week. Hey, these are the updates, what's happening? Um, this is what's going on. It's also been a great opportunity to do thank yous, celebrations, um, and just do general project updates uh, as well. Um, and then finally, I'd say we're, this is something we're not perfect at, but, but we're trying to get better at, um, is, is really trying to bring people to work together or get together more often cross functions. Um, so what, one of the things that we've kind of implemented to, uh, you know, increase motivation and, uh, you know, engagement here, here at work at, at Domain is uh, something we call Inno Days. So, so it's something we do like on a, I think it's a quarterly basis. Um, we have a bunch of people from marketing. It could be tech, it could be product. They all get together to pitch ideas that, that they think could shift and, and change the needle um, for the outcomes for, for the business. And then that's been really good in terms of that engagement and, and motivation and getting away from that daily grind. Uh, but also we've had some cool ideas come up for that that we've actually implemented um, uh, through that process as well. So, yeah, keen to get uh, everyone else's thoughts on what they've done. Do you mind if I ask you a question, Sim, about yeah. I, I just want to understand what you, you were talking about, you know, the financial situation that we've had and, and you know, like the, the, the debt of zero interest rate. How, how did that impact the people's motivation? Like, I, I'm, I'm interested. I, I want to see the relationship with that because I, I want to understand a little bit more. Yeah, sure. So, so with the recent tech layoffs, um, I think people are feeling a little bit more uncertain about their roles. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely. Uh, so, and this is across the industry yeah, at the moment. Um, so, well, when I say, you know, how do we keep people motivated? It's like, you know, yes, there's this whole market trend of, of tech layoffs. We're seeing the fangs do it. Um, you know, we're trying to keep them reassured, reassertain that, hey, it's not going to impact you. You know, the, this is why you, you should care about your work. Okay. All right. Yeah. And look, I think that's, that's an interesting topic because there is a lot of uncertainty and there's uncertainty, I think, in Australia and then in Sydney, but globally as well. Like, I think there is a lot of concern that goes goes on there. Um, one of the things, and and you know, we have, we certainly haven't got it right. Like these are things that we're always trying to, trying to iterate on and trying to make a little bit better. Um, one of the things that we, and, and my um, product offsider and I have basically um, have brought in and, and started to do is that we're doing um, basically 
six weekly cycle up cycle updates around you know like how is our how is our business tracking right so campaign monitor is now um it, it's a brand as part of um a larger marigold corporation um and and often we get information at the marigold level there is a bit of a tendency that you know, um, in, in my head at the moment, I've got the this is fine meme, um, everything. We, we talk about the positive things really easily. It's very hard to talk about like what's not going so well. Um, what we've taken on as part of these updates is that we will make sure that we're talking really like very much about Campaign Monitor itself and how are we tracking. We try to be really honest about where we are. Um, I think like pe people could see information around right like if you're sitting there going everything is fine and they're looking at it going hey i'm looking at our conversion numbers and they don't look fine why is no one talking about that um that's where uncertainty comes in and and that's one thing that we've tried to bring in a little bit um as a company we've gone in and out of doing okrs we're back in now um in an in the period where okrs are back uh, and and the thing that we're focusing on a lot um, one of the things we're trying to do is make sure that those OKRs are actually meaningful to people and they can see it and they they feel like it is something that, you know, hey, how can we move the needle on this and how do we feel like that is something that speaks to what I could do day to day. Um, we've got that wrong a lot so far. So the first, you know, the first couple of quarters trying to set those OKRs, we haven't done a great job or we've been, you know, far too open optimistic about like where we would get to and how soon we would start seeing the impact of some things. Um, but as part of it, we're being honest about that and we're going, yeah, look, you know, we were aiming for here, but you know, we're not there, but we are here and this is in the next quarter. Now we're revising it to this and, th and this is the point we want to get to. So um, I, I really believe being honest with people because I think if you're not, they will see through it, right? They'll, they'll really? see the bullshit and they will just go, no, um, I, I'm now even more concerned because you're not being upfront. Uh, so that's one thing that we found is, has, uh, like I think, um, uh, hopefully I'm, I'm obviously speaking on behalf of my engineering team, but I hope they they see the value that they get out of that and and the fact that we are, you know, we're upfront. You'll get, we won't we won't try and do smoke and mirrors. We will tell you exactly what's going on. Yeah, no, I, I think, I, you know, in, in, in employees, team members, regardless, what they do or their role within the business or what your business is, you know, they accept that companies don't always make the perfect decisions every time. Um, you know, <clears throat> we, we have a kind of a culture within evolution of, you know, it's important to try things and, and when you try things, you're going to make mistakes and that's fine. To, don't continue to make them, you know, call them out and, you know, identify them and, you know, if it's, you know, can we do it, can we do it more? Can we do it better? And if doing those things is, um, you know, it doesn't affect the outcome, well, then let's not, let's not do it at all. Let's do something different because it's not working. People know when things aren't working. Yeah. Um, and to kind of say, no, you know, keep going. We'll get, we'll get there. You know, if you're never, if you, if you, if you're never admitting to a mistake, well, then it just, it, it's, it's inauthentic because we all make mistakes. Um, and as business leaders, I think, you know, sometimes it can be, yeah, it, we, we, we perhaps overly concerned about, you know, owning up to a mistake because well, we're supposed to be the leaders. We're not supposed to make mistakes, but, Actually, it's probably more more on us too, because we're the ones making the calls on on how you know, or influencing the calls on, on on how things should be done. And we're not always going to get it right. You can tell someone it's going it's going well if they know otherwise. They're just not going to buy it, right? And it's just going to it's going to separate them from that um, from your, your your point about about purpose, it, um, you know, and, and, and engagement with well, look, you know, well, if they're going to stick to your point, they're going to just pretend these things are great then. What, what, what else? They, what else? They not in front of that. What's up? I'm not seeing. 
that's, you know, that's, that's, that's perhaps my comparison. Um, ben, what are your thoughts? Uh, so just to add uh, to what Stu and, and Sim said, I think communication, overt communication, is, is one one massive key, not just one, one of the things, uh, just adding a little bit of what Sim was saying. Uh, we we at, at Lendy Group, because we were merging two businesses together, we've been working in, in two years on, on this on this side, and we, we finally, the, the 31st of March was uh, one of our, maybe our, our, our the end of, of our that big milestone so we had an inflection point in which we started redefining about the company so we're moving towards uh, okrs are more objective driven metric driven value driven rather than oh just get this thing out this get this thing out which i i don't i don't feel because it's what we needed to do to get to this point right uh and then another another thing is that I think our, our the communication with with the leadership team and, and the CEO to to the to the people to the to the teams has been much more constant. We and, and other on other leaderships in, in our division have been more constant to to in, in, inform the people what's going on, uh, to to let them know about what we're doing, the benefit like you know the benefits to our customers. We we're trying to disseminate this information more to get the purpose of people to get people again. Uh, focus and, and and connected to to our users and customers, and and one thing that I like a lot is is just not telling but listening. And and one of the things that I I think this is very brave and and it's very very good to do is that uh, our leadership team is now hosting Ask Me Anything events, in which in which they, the they let themselves. <laughs> No, well, that, I think the only the only thing that is that the let's say the, the only caveat if you want to call it like that is that uh, these these are people on their questions. So we 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 recently introduced these principles of work uh, that you know to to help us get to where we want to get in in this next phase of, of the business. And on one of these is radical transparency. So one of the things that that we want for this, ask me anything, just as 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 the as the leaders of the of the business are are going to answer those questions and and be as as truthful as as possibly they can be, uh, the the people that ask the questions can need to do it owning the question, not just in an anonymous way, and and I think like that that's the only thing that maybe let's call it a a, a boundary. Uh, but I think I think these are very good because it it gets it helps the people get closer to the objectives of the business. It also allows the leaders to understand uh, from the people's own voices what are what are the concerns or where where are their thoughts at. And I think this is this is very good because then you can you can identify. There's that there's a thing that I mention a lot with with the leaders that that I work with that is that is called intention perception gap. So, so one listening to the people asking you questions or, or giving you comments, you can you can identify how how big is that gap? What what's the what's the what's the why are you not not communicating well that you end up coming as something that you are not intending to? So I th I think this is this is very important and it helps people a lot uh, in in this uh, in in this sense of purpose and finding connection with the business and, and aligning their own their own values to to the business right because it's not just about you drop everything or put everything aside and and, and substitute your own your own objectives with the company but it's also trying to align what you want you know out of your life with what your company is doing yeah and 
and sorry, I want to loop back on something that you mentioned as well, because you talked a little bit about um, at the team level um, and and how you get how you keep that motivation going. Um, one of the things that and and this depends on what your team is like, um, and and you know we have different teams. We have some engineers who are really outspoken. We have some who who you know are very reserved, and it's it, it's hard to get exactly how they're feeling out. Um, one of the things that we have done for a long time is is team health checks as part of um, you know like we do it every now and then for um, for a retrospective, and and they're asking questions like you know do I know what we're doing and why we're doing it? Um, you know, do I have good work-life balance? Do I, um, you know, do we have fun while we work and, and, and things like that? I think sort of bringing this back to that topic of, you know, the, the culture and the mix of people who are, you know, in office, um, fully remote, a hybrid of that, you know, it is really good to get those different opinions around. You may think that everyone understands exactly why we're doing something, but you may find, hey, you know, all these people who are remote, they're not getting the same information or, um, you know, their work-life balance seems like it's really off. So I think when we talk about motivation, it can be driven by so many different um, different factors. Doing something like that and trying to have a look around, you know, okay, from these people, we're getting this insight, from these people, we're getting this insight, and, and they seem much... Um, like much more positive about this, but there's obviously not information getting through. It's one way that you can you can sort of take that and um, and you know I guess drive into those results and and see where there might be a gap or something that you want to do a little bit more of. Yeah, love it. And there's probably um, yeah some correlation with the engagement surveys as well. When you know using those to really drive um, you know what are the things that are keeping the teams motivated and uh, yeah what are the what are the ways we can improve as well? Yeah. Yeah, I love team health checks. They are very useful and, and very, you know, you can apply them very quickly. Uh, the only thing that at always my asterisk is just watch out if something has happened because that I can add a lot of noise to the results. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Look, this, the, the, I've taken a, a lot of notes of the conversation. We've just ticked over an hour um, of talking today and I think it's, it, it's flown by. We've covered a lot of the ground there. Um, and I've just been kind of scribbling lots of you know, notes and ideas and, and you know, taking some of these insights from you guys myself. Um, so been, you know, for me personally, it'd be really useful. Hopefully it has been for you as well. And I'm sure um, you know, the audience um, that are joining us live um, and those that will be receiving this um, uh, after the event um, will we'll, we'll share that, that, um, yeah, that same feeling. So I really want to thank you all for your time today. You know, we're all very busy. Um, there's lots going on, and for you to have found the time to prepare and you know join this join join this this today um, is you know, really really appreciated. So um, thank you very much. Great to speak to you all, um, and yeah, looking forward to, to, to implementing some of these um, within within our within our own business. I'm sure there'll be lots of um, lots of, uh, of sharing sharing across uh, across our various businesses and and, and the audience. So. Thanks very much and look forward to, to speaking to you all again. Thanks a lot.